the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Welcome back, everybody. Hour 2, Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Hope you're keeping cool out there, 888-528-2557. Is there a book that has impacted your life that maybe was something you didn't expect, but something that uh, you just really enjoyed because it had something that affected your life? Uh, obviously, Christian show and the Bible obviously does that. Uh, for you. And maybe it's not obvious because the studies say that most Christians have not read most of the Bible. So hopefully you get into your Bible. But I know you read other things. I read other things. And the reason I'm asking this is there's this conversation that is happening in our political world about book bans. And it's a little bit, it's one of those things that drives me a little crazy because there are no book bans. There are books that are being uh, challenged and in some cases being taken out of some school libraries because of age appropriateness. But you can there's no books that are banned. You can go buy the books at uh, Barnes and Noble. There was a whole thing with uh, Governor Newsom in Boise complaining about banned books while he was in a Barnes and Noble standing next to a huge rack full of, quote, banned books. That's what the sign said on it. And, you know, they're not banned. You can buy them. You can buy them on Amazon. You can get it overnight. You can get it. If you're one of those people, you ever have this experience where you go to Amazon in the morning and you buy something and then it's supposed to show up the next day or the day after, but you get it the same day. And it's because you got in there just right before, you know, that distribution center that's down the street from your house. We live real close to one. So we see Amazon vans coming out of there all the time. Uh, sometimes I get things the same day. It's amazing. And these banned books, you can get the same day. You can drive to the bookstore and buy it. You can drive to the, you can get it on Amazon, have it delivered to your door and you can get it in, uh, you know, uh, discreet packaging. It's probably an option for some of these books or it ought to be 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. i bring this up today because one of the big stories in the news today, I don't think it's a big story, but it's a story that that is out there on the subject is former President Barack Obama put out a tweet today that says, today, some of the books that shaped my life and the lives of so many others are being challenged by people who disagree with certain ideas or perspectives. And librarians are on the front lines, fighting every day to make the widest possible range of viewpoints, opinions, ideas, and ideas available to everyone. Now, the the question that I would just put out there, I've got a couple of questions, not just for Barack Obama, but anybody else who is discussing this. The first question is, what books would you say are not appropriate? Mr. Obama, do you think it's appropriate to have books in a grade school or at any age that depict graphically child pornography or kids having sex, little kids having sex, 10-year-olds doing this, 8-year-olds? Do you think that that's a question that needs to be put back? Because what's being said here is that, oh, books are being banned, you know, that just have different ideas. 
well, that's an idea I don't think that should be in our kids' bookstore, that uh, little kids should be having sex with each other and trying things out. But that's there. And if you're still in the camp where you deny that's there, you are, you're missing this. This is a huge deal. And it's everywhere. And you can, like I said, you can buy those books. You can go online and be disgusted by it, hopefully, when you actually see what's in the book. Most of the time, those are the books that are ultimately being removed. Now, it's true that there have been many books that are challenged, usually by one parent, that a parent will say, well, I don't like this book because uh, it's pushing CRT or it's pushing some agenda I don't like. But then what happens in almost every case is the school board, even conservative ones where those exist, go back and they go, no, this is not child pornography. It's not explicit sex. It's not something it's, you know, and they put it back or they never took it off to begin with. So you have to be really careful with the language here. Notice he says that books are being challenged. Uh, that's true. Like technically that's true. There's a lot of books. In fact, I'll give you a list. There's some books that are that are good books that have been challenged actually out there or books at least that probably should not be removed from school libraries. Some of them should be moved to the junior high or the middle school rather than the grade school. I would say that's appropriate. There there are certain books that I don't want my uh, that I don't want my 11-year-old to read quite yet, but if my 14-year-old read it, I'd be okay with it, right? There's a there's a huge difference between 14 and 11. It's just enormous. There's not much different, you know, between 44 and 41, okay? there's But there's a huge difference between 14 and 11. Um, and I think that there is a clear place here for appropriateness. Somebody in Utah challenged the Bible, a few weeks ago. Hey, I can't have the Bible. It's got sex and violence in it, and we shouldn't have that. And you know what's interesting about that to me is that she's right. That's why we have kid versions of the Bible that we give to our kids in Sunday school. Like Christians agree with you. Yes, there are some stories in the Bible that I don't want to explain to my 11-year-old that uh, maybe my 14-year-old's going to uh, discover, and I'll talk to him about it. But as an adult, it's life, right? It's the way it is. But Christians have felt that forever. That's why we've got, that's why you don't teach that stuff to the little kids in Sunday school. You get there when you get older and you go through the whole book, which hopefully you do, because there is stuff in the Bible that's hard to wrestle with. There is, there are passages in the Bible and stories in the Bible that are hard to deal with or that are very violent or very sexual in nature and what they mean. That's, that's there. It's in there. Uh, but you don't. We don't teach that to the uh, third grade Sunday school class. We're not doing that. That's why there's the kid Bible, right? There's, it's a normal thing. So it bothers me when high profile people and people like Barack Obama, who actually I think can speak intelligently to this, if we wanted to tell the truth about it. Here's what he writes. So he writes this letter. And there's a couple of things, and this is what I'm, I'm bringing this up not to not to deal with President Obama specifically, but he's mimicking the the language that happens that distorts the issue. You know, people distort the issue kind of on all sides, right? And the and the conservative side, when you start labeling any book that's about people of color as CRT, uh, but you can't explain what in it is CRT. Well, then you haven't done your homework. Then maybe that book is is not wrong. They're liberals. They like to ban books also and or try to get rid of books, which are still not banned. Huckleberry Finn, that would be one of them, right, that uh, the kids don't read anymore. And I understand that because the N-word is used throughout that book. It's very uncomfortable. Maybe I don't want my kids reading that. But the, the problem is 
that that book, what it's actually about is to make you hate racism, right? If you actually read and study that book, as uncomfortable as it might be in our our modern circumstances, and particularly with some of the language that's used in there, I understand the you know how we've we've changed there, and not everything is wrong about that change. Except that you miss the point of the book. The book, when you read it and study it, it should make you hate racism. It shows the evil of racism. It is the reason it's an American classic. The reason it was read for so long is be, for the right reasons because it will show you how evil and sick racism is as Huck Finn and Jim uh, go through these things. And Huck Finn has got his worldview being challenged by Jim, who's a former slave, who's the hero of the book. And that is good to have that challenge because some of those views still can exist today. And so there's there's reasons for that. But I, I understand that. But the interesting thing is that Barack Obama mentions that book in his letters. He writes this letter to librarians Maybe you're a librarian. I'd love to know if you want to call 888-528-2557. What kind of flack are you getting for from people? You know, I don't think it's completely wrong to say, hey, there's people who are trying to get rid of books that shouldn't be removed. All right, I get that. So here's what uh, the president, uh, President Obama actually comes together. He says, today, some of the books that shaped my life and the lives of so many others are being challenged by people who disagree with certain ideas or perspectives, and librarians are on the front lines fighting every day to make the widest possible range of viewpoints, opinions, and ideas available to everyone. Michelle and I want to thank these librarians for their unwavering commitment and the freedom to read. Uh, I hope you'll read my letter to them, to the librarians. I'll read part of the letter in a minute. Uh, And join me in reminding anyone who will listen, and even some people who you think might not, uh, that free, robust exchange of ideas has always been at the heart of American democracy. That's true. That should be at the heart of American democracy. It used to be the heart of American democracy, but we've been removing that from higher education for a long time. And in this whole discussion where we won't really talk about it, we can't do it. And then he promotes an organization called United Against Book Bans. So he's he's careful to not say banning of books because he knows that books aren't really being banned. But then he promotes a, a group about uniting about book bans. Then you can go there and you can uh, figure out who's banning books and where. I do think that there's a lot of nuance here. And I think that is you know something that everybody needs to be careful about is sometimes people bring up a book that – really is just something they disagree with. But most of the time, the books that actually are getting removed from the school libraries are pornographic. It's smut. That's the right word, I think. You know, there's a lot of words that work. It's smut. Do you want smut in the hands of little kids? At what age do you think it's appropriate to hand them smut? Because that's what it is. It's smut. It's it's no different. It's no different from the pornography that uh, your friend's dad used to have in a stack of magazines in the closet, or the smut that you used to sneak. You know, when you're if you're younger. Now it's just everywhere because it's on. The, it's no different than the smut that is on the uh, top websites of the world. It's smut. That's just what it is. Okay, so he writes this letter to the dedicated, hardworking librarians of America. In any democracy, the free exchange of ideas is an important part of making sure that citizens are informed, engaged, and feel like their perspectives matter. I totally agree with that. It's so important, in fact, that here in America, the First Amendment of our Constitution states that the freedom begins with our capacity to share and access ideas, even and maybe especially ones we disagree with. I agree with that, but isn't there a line 
What would you say the line is? I would say there's a line. That's the that's a question I would ask President Obama or anybody who's taking this point of view. Don't you think that that giving smut to kids is the line, though? Like, we're not saying it can't exist if there's a market for it. That says to me that there's a bigger problem, a moral problem, that there is a market for it. Right? The fact that there's a market for it tells me there's a much bigger problem in our culture. But the idea that we want to give it, see, that's the part that's left out here. That yes, there is a nuance of books that should not be banned that are sometimes getting bad and for bad reasons. But the books that are mainly causing the protests that we're seeing at school boards, the books that mostly are causing the problems at the libraries and other stuff is the smut. He doesn't say that. He continues, more often than not, someone decides to write those ideas down in a book. Of course they do. Now he says, it says, books I have, that have always shaped how I experience the world. Books have always shaped how I experience the world. Uh, writers like Mark Twain and Toni Morrison, Walt Whitman and James Baldwin taught me something essential about our country's character. You know, he mentions Mark Twain and Walt Whitman and, you know, certain books and writers that have something impactful to say about the issues of, of race or sexuality or other stuff that you, I haven't read everything those people put out, but nobody's probably calling them smut. And some people certainly, like I said, even with Mark Twain that he mentions, have tried to ban that from schools and have said that that shouldn't be there. And there are some reasons for that. And it's all the same question. It's about age appropriateness. None of those books are banned. None of those authors are banned. Uh, you can buy those books freely in the market. Um, reading about people whose lives were very different from mine showed me how to step into someone else's shoes. And the simple act of writing helped me develop my own identity, all of which would prove vital as a citizen, as a community organizer, and as a president. You know, all of that is fine, except that there is the subset that's called smut. Is that just an old word? I, you know, it's, it's hard on the radio to even talk about this. It's so important. It's hard because there are rules about what I can say. And we're a Christian station, right? And it's harder still to get into what needs to be said. But when you're living in a time where you have so much criminality that is attacking children, whether it be drugs or sex, the you know human trafficking, sex trafficking, huge in the news today because of that movie, which, by the way, is going to make $100 million dollars. It'll hit $100 million in a day or two. Number two-week movie, again, it's still beating Indiana Jones. Uh, Sound of Freedom is the name of that movie. You should go see it. Don't bring your kids. Not for them. It's not QAnon. It's not, it doesn't have some weird conspiracy theory in it. It has some, you know, some Hollywood fiction probably in how certain things are portrayed. But the, the core of the story is an actual true story, and it's about what actually happens. We're going to have a guest on tomorrow who is heavily involved in all of this in human trafficking and get with kids, getting them out, not involved like he's doing it. He's getting the kids out. And it's huge. I'm glad people are seeing that movie. And it's bipartisan, by the way, that people are learning, because I don't believe that people who are Republicans or Democrats or independents or that most people are in favor of any of this. I think that there are just too many people who deny that it's happening. And I have to tell you, it's shocking. It's just it's it's hard to believe it. I get that. But it is. See, and what's happening in this argument about banned books is it's being left out as if it's not part of the conversation. And that's deliberate. It's deliberate. Why don't you just say, certainly some books should be removed because of age appropriateness, including books that depict sexual behavior by children. 
including books that encourage children to go out and get an app to find grown men who will uh, connect with you sexually. That's true, by the way. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's actually what's in the book. You can look it up on any of the left-wing fact-checking sites. It is true. Those books, I, I don't think that there's many people, whatever your politics are, who think those books should be in schools for little kids. And so it just bugs me when high-profile people try to make the argument into something else. Today, some of those books have uh, shaped my life, and some of those books that have shaped my life and the lives of so many others are being challenged by people who disagree with certain ideas or perspectives. It's no coincidence that these, quote, banned books, unquote, are often, because he knows they're not banned, are often written by or feature people of color, indigenous people, members of the LGBTQ plus community, though there have also been unfortunate instances in which books by conservative authors or books containing, quote, triggering words or scenes have been targets for removal. That's true. All of that, see, all of that, the, the kind of this core argument that he makes is like the reasonable normative argument that would be always said about books that have been challenged, okay? He says, either way, the impulse seems to be to silence rather than engage, rebut, learn from, or seek to understand views that don't fit our own. But the, the issue mainly, and I'll give you some issues, some books that uh, have been challenged that shouldn't be in a minute. Uh, probably when we get back in the next break. Uh, but he's leaving out the outrage of what's happening to our kids. He says, I believe such an approach is profoundly misguided and contrary to what has made this country great. And you know what? In most cases, true. As I've stated before, not only is it important for young people from all walks of life to see themselves represented in the page of these books, but it is also important for us all to engage with different ideas and points of view. You know, I totally agree with with engaging with different ideas and points of view. It's too bad that they're being banned from our universities now. Even when I was in college, I mean, I went to UC Riverside. I would have said it was, you know, liberal or left. But you could talk about anything. You know, I was in classes, you know, most of my professors, I would say, were pretty liberal. I had, in fact, I can only think of one who I would say was conservative in the whole school. But I would say that there was freedom to discuss anything in all the classes I took. And I was a history major in law and society, so these kinds of discussions were a part of it. I, but in the same school today, in most of our schools, you can't because somebody's triggered by it. It's suddenly become, you know, it's just not right. So he's talking about an America that's not the America right now. And we cannot because we're we're thinking about that we cannot be thinking that this is 1993 it's 2023 and in 1993 the books that we're talking about removing from schools that are depicting sexual acts with kids encouraging kids ch- children we're talking about young kids encouraging them to experiment in all kinds of ways I don't even know if those books, I suppose they existed, but they might not have even been legal. They certainly weren't given to kids, I think. Well, now they're everywhere. This is not something that is, this is just very disingenuous to leave that out. It's kind of like when you have the conversation about abortion, it's a difficult topic. 
um, because of so much emotion. And, but when you have the discussion and you're talking about a woman's right to choose, but you leave the, the fact out that there's a baby involved who's a different individual, um, or even on the pro-life side, if you don't talk about the difficulties that many women uh, face with different things, or you don't talk about the need to help raise these kids, right? There's, there's a whole lot of things that have to be discussed. Then you're, you're not really having the discussion that Mr. Obama thinks we ought to be having. See, it's very disingenuous to act like this isn't a thing. My friends, it's a thing. The parents who are, have been, and I think this fall, it's going to be enormous, who will be going to their school boards and saying, don't have these books. Um, when it comes to the explicit smut that is being given our kids that all these parents are reading and then the school board says, you can't read that here, it's disgusting. And then they say, well, you're giving it to my third grader. Why are you doing that if you won't, don't want to hear it here? That's for real. And that's happening in your school district. It's not happening in somebody else's school district. It's happening in yours. And it is okay to say these books are not appropriate. And it is okay to say, even in your public library, I think these books should be 18 plus or 21 plus. I think they shouldn't exist. As a Christian, you know, it bothers me that they even exist. But in a free society, you know, maybe you you would have the argument that you don't ban things because that leads to other stuff that you don't really, but you can make it difficult to get. I don't think the child pornography should exist at all. It shouldn't be in the libraries. I don't mean to say that. I don't, it just shouldn't be there. Um, when I come back, I'll give you a couple of other books that are out there to kind of to explain, you know, the difference. I think that matters so that we understand what's going on. And I'm curious, are there books in your life? And that's the other question I have for President Obama is what books? He doesn't say what books actually affected his life. I'd like to know. I bet it isn't genderqueer. I bet it isn't these books that are asking you to go uh, have sex with the other kids. I bet those aren't the ones that impacted his life. I bet he's got legitimate books by legitimate writers who have ideas that maybe not everybody agrees with, but they're ideas. I bet those are the books he would mention. I bet he doesn't mention smut. Just a, just a thought there. He doesn't mention any of those books. I got to take a break. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Was there a book that you read that impacted your life? Obviously, the Bible, I think, you know, we're a Christian show, so I expect that. But maybe something else. Maybe it's a Christian book. Maybe it's a book that was written about a Bible character or, you know, a commentary. That's fair. But maybe it's some other kind of book that just impacted your thinking in such a way that it helps you understand your faith better. It helps you have a better, truthful worldview better. Or maybe even a book that you don't agree with, but it helped you understand somebody else I think that's a that is a important part of reading and studying is you have to understand what other people think. It's important to do that. And um the conversation has started because of the whole book banning thing that is not actually happening, but there are some meaning that there are no books that are banned. We keep hearing this. Uh there are many books that are just smut that parents are outraged are in school libraries. I think those should be taken out. 
There are other books, though, that sometimes get challenged that probably shouldn't be. And I think when you have this conversation, you should be you know, aware that there are some books out there that people challenge. Um, and usually by people, often it's one person, one parent who has decided they're going to you know, challenge something for some reason. And it's just usually a bad reason. And so you got to be careful. This whole idea that there's 2,500 books that have been banned this year, none of that's true. Uh, there's some books that I've read that I think are super impactful. 1984, I mean, I read that when I was young. I read it, re- reread it recently. Everybody should read that book. Everybody in 2023, probably older than 14, should read that book. Now, interestingly, historically, that book has been objected to by people on the left and right in different times. So that book was written in 1949, and at different times over the past 60 years, people on the left and right have objected to that book. But uh, I think it should be read. I think it says something really profound about why we need freedom of speech. It should scare you about any government that will try to change what the truth is or try to control all kinds of things. Really good book. Uh, Frankenstein. That book uh, I thought was an excellent book. A few years ago, I decided I'm going to read all these monster stories. Like, I don't know why these books are you know, famous. Why Why is it that we have these particular monsters? I'm sure there's a lot of horror books out there and a lot of monster books. Most of them nobody read. But what's so profound about Dracula or Frankenstein or these kinds of books? So I read a couple of them. I read uh, Dracula. Actually, I didn't think that was a good book. I thought it was like entertaining book for two thirds into it. But the way the book ends is not good. Like it's, and if you ever watch the Dracula movies, like even the really old ones, none of them follow the book uh, particularly at the end. And it's because it's sort of anticlimactic. I mean, he, the Van Helsing is the, the hero, but he's not even the guy who kills Dracula. It's just weird uh, the way that book works. I didn't like it. Plus, I had a bat living in a tree right outside my window while I was reading that book, and I thought that was weird. Um, <laughs> and then my sister reminded me that she read that book when we were in high school, and a bat flew into, the, into her room and hit her in the face while she was reading that book. Weird book. Um, Frankenstein, though, is excellent. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And it's excellent because it asks a lot of profound questions about science, about the way we treat um, people. And it actually has, you know, it explores the moral and ethical implications of, of science and what we do with human ambition and what we do with medicine effectively on each other. And it revolves around, you know, Frankenstein is not the monster. You know, Frankenstein is the name of the doctor who builds him, Dr. Victor Frankenstein, or Frankenstein for some of you. And uh, it, he's the scientist. The monster is created and then abandoned by Dr. Frankenstein. And so it raises a lot of questions about responsibilities that come with creating and bring, bringing life into the world which is a huge question for today as we're talking about cloning, as we talk about abortion, as we talk about, um, you know, lots of the different medical procedures that we're even doing on, on people. There are ethical questions that we should be asking. And Frankenstein is an excellent book. It's super good. In fact, uh, a lot of people argue about the book being about abortion. And it's old, written 1810 or something, right? Old book. But they had abortion back then and a similar argument today, just didn't have some of the science behind it uh, in different ways. Uh, but there's a part, part of the book at the end where Frankenstein's monster, the monster, declares himself to be an abortion. And 
when you read that, and you read that he says this about himself, and then you realize that he's caused so much pain that he causes pain to men and women, and in particular that they suffer in silence, and that it causes division and mistrust. Uh, the monster does in all of these uh, towns that the monster goes into. I mean, when you read that book, it has an awful lot to say about human character, about where we're at when it comes to even scientific or medical advancing, why we need to be careful and be ethical about the things that we're doing. And, you know, I my view is that the book is profoundly against abortion. And it's hard to tell historically what Mary Shelley's view was about that. There are old arguments about that, pro and con. Um, but it's, to me, I would put that on the list of many things that she is saying this is something that is harming women. It's harming society. Great book. I think you should read that book and look at it, you know, specifically. Some of the books that get banned. This is where I think people who are into this need to, you know, who are worried about what books might be in their school libraries. Don't just take somebody's word for it when you hear, oh, there's this book and it's bad. It needs to get banned. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, these are books that maybe you've read, maybe there are people in your life who have uh, uh, read them. One of them is called Mouse, M-A-U-S. And in uh, one school district, a board member singled out one scene in this book. Um, and this book has to do with the Holocaust. Okay, It has to do um, with some very difficult subjects, but difficult subjects about real events. And this member said, being in school, educators and stuff, we don't need to enable or somewhat promote this stuff because there are, there are you know, graphics in it. It shows people hanging. It shows people killing kids. Why does the educational system promote this kind of stuff? It's not wise or healthy. Now, Mao's, that book is not promoting murder by bearing witness to it. You know, it's like when people say, oh, the Bible uh, promotes slavery or it promotes, you know, adultery or things like that. No, it doesn't. Just because it says that there are slaves and that if you are slaves or masters, that this is how you should act. It's not saying it's okay. It just bears witness to that it's happening. And the same thing is true about this book. It was bearing witness to what happened in history, real history, with the Holocaust and that some of these horrific things did happen. Now, there's an age-appropriate question, you know, do should second graders read that book? Probably not. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, it's been taught to middle schoolers for a long time, and they've handled it well. And I think you are probably old enough to recognize that the Holocaust was real, that there was this kind of evil being done, and I think it should be read. And so you've seen that book come up sometimes in these list of books that ought to be gone. It shouldn't be. Uh, somebody tried to ban a book called I Am Rosa Parks, a kid's book. It got temporarily removed by one school district. So what, it's another part of the banning books discussion. You hear all these books are being banned. Most of them, most of them, it was one parent or one school district for a temporary period of time. And in this case, it was one school district in Pennsylvania and one in Florida. Both, by the way, put the book right back. And it was removed by people who decided to assume that every book about uh, people of color or the civil rights movement was tainted with critical theory, and uh, so they just want to ban all of those books. And that didn't make any sense. That's not what the book is. You don't need critical theory to point out that Jim Crow was terrible and sinful and evil. You don't need critical theory to talk about racism or talk about Tulsa or talk about a lot of the things that black people in our country have experienced. 
those things are history. They happened. They should be talked about and they should be taught. And Rosa Parks is a great story and uh, should be taught. And you know, if there's some kind of political tinge to it or agenda, you know, it's not it's not smut, right? And you can talk to your kids about agendas that you might read in different books and things like that. I think parents have to be involved to do that. Everybody's got an agenda somewhere. Um, you know, so you find books. You just have to be careful. There's a there was a book. This keeps getting quoted. You know, another thing that happens is there's a book in Florida supposedly that was banned on Roberto Clemente, the baseball player. Uh, that's not what happened with that book is it gets said, oh, this book was banned by uh, religious conservatives, but actually it's not true. What happened is liberal school boards were trying to create a political issue and blame parents. So they banned it and, uh, they've been called out for that. You can find that in all your fact checking things. So there's political games being played with all of these books. Also, we need to see these things with clarity. I think as Christians who need to be the light in this dark world. We need to be people who can take a look at a situation and discern with wisdom what really is happening here. And in the book banning issue, the things that parents on both sides of the aisle that are rightly objecting to is pornography and smut given to little kids that depicts sexual acts. It's not even just talking about LGBTQ issues. Okay, that's one thing. But descriptions and drawn pictures of children having sex, which is in some of these books, or advice of what app to download on your phone, or conversations about how to keep this from your parents that are being taught to 10 or 12-year-olds, that stuff must be objected to by every parent. And as Christians, we, I think, need to, as a voice, say this is horrific for any society. It is okay to do that. But be careful to not just take a list that you got off the Internet of books that ought to be banned, because sometimes the things on that list, people are just throwing them up there or they're wrong. And then what what happens, the reason it's bad, is it takes the attention away from the things that really need to be called out. It takes the attention away from the things that are so horrific that everybody on every side would object to if they really believed it. And I think that's part of the, what we're seeing happen is we are seeing a change in our society right now. We've seen it in our state with what happened in Sacramento last week where a human trafficking bill to create uh, human trafficking of kids as a serious felony was rejected, but bipartisan Republicans and Democrats have been furious about that. That's good. That's been an issue for over a year. And suddenly it's in the public consciousness. I think that's great, and it's great that it's bipartisan because I don't think we all disagree about a lot of this stuff. You see what I'm saying? That there is a place for us as believers to use our voice well. It's really important that we speak out about the right things and that we don't get distracted by things that are either not true or less important or not really part of the issue because there are some very serious things happening to our kids And most people will agree that we need to make some changes. All right, I got to take a break. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. Pastor Scott Show will be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Happy Monday to you. It is a Monday, and uh, I'm experiencing a Monday, although I've had fun today with you. The number is 888-528-2557. I started the show today talking about my, my day, which began with two broken shoestrings. 
what are the odds that you break two shoestrings in the same day? And then my belt broke, just broke. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's some message, you know, stay away from the uh, the donuts or something, but I don't I don't think so. I don't think I have uh, increased in that area since uh, since the covid. I did put on the covid-19. I did. 888-528-2557. By the way, uh, CVS stands for if you've been listening the whole time, do you know what CVS stands for? Consumer value stores. I wanted to get that in there just because I, I think that's a bit of trivia for most of you. So I've been asking this question, what is a book that you read that impacted your life? Something that you read that you thought was really profound that you would invite other people to read, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 is the number. And uh, obviously the Bible, but uh, maybe there's a Christian book, something that you read in a small group or something that you read just on your own because you thought it would be useful. 888-528-2557. One of the books that I read that was uh, profound is uh, John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. You ever read that book? It's an oldie but a goodie, although there's like new editions. And what's funny about the new editions is there's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership in that book. And he changed two of them in the more recent editions, which I guess meant the other ones were kind of refutable. He changed them because they were they were they were dated, right? One of them was the the law of E. F. Hutton. Remember those commercials? There used to be uh, a firm out there called E. F. Hutton, and there were the television commercials. Was is people were having conversations at a restaurant or something, and one guy would say, uh, "Well, my broker is E. F. Hutton," and E. F. Hutton says, and then everyone in the restaurant would be quiet and listen in. And the slogan was, "When E. F. Hutton speaks, people listen." You remember that, Wilbert? I don't know if you're old enough for that. I'm not sure. Yeah, you probably don't. That was probably a long time ago. Anyway, the law of E.F. Hutton was the idea that when when the person in the room, there's a certain people in the room who, when they speak, people kind of listen. And sometimes that's because of your expertise. Sometimes it's because of your personality or whatever might be going on. I used to organize uh, some ministries are trying to find leaders by trying to figure out who in my my group, whatever ministry I was leading, who's the one who makes the decision about what restaurant to go to afterward. I was running a young adult ministry when I started in in church ministry, and you know one of the ways I figured out is who's the one who decides we're going to go to Chili's or we're going to go to uh, Marie Callender's or whatever restaurants that people would go to back then. And uh, sometimes people were the deciders, right? They're the ones who make the decision. And I thought, well, you know what? That's who my leader is because uh, it's the law of E.F. Hutton. Sometimes, and, and you can be different, right? That person might choose the restaurant but might not be listened to in another uh, scenario. There are times when you find yourself as the most important person in the room for some reason where people are looking to you for whatever that reason is. And the law of E. of Hutton is in leadership, try to figure out who people are listening to and pay attention to that person. I thought it was pretty good. They changed that, though, because nobody knows who E. F. Hutton is. It's some other law now in the in the book. That was a book. Changed my life. 888-528-2557. Ray in Calabasas. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing? I can't I'm, believe I'm on. <laughs> oh, well, welcome. Is this, your, is this your first time? Yeah. Oh. Yes. Ah, see, we have the first-time caller music for you there. <laughs> crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm presently reading a, a book called The Second Coming, written by my pastor, as a matter of fact, John MacArthur. Oh, all right. And uh, it's just a great book. It breaks down uh, 
all the prophecies and exactly what they're pointing to. It even breaks down um, what's really interesting about well, the Bible in general and this book is that even secular history has confirmed a lot of the prophecies that they did, in fact, come true. So, Oh, yeah, secular history uh, confirms uh, an awful lot, so, and that matters because it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Not, right. not that the Bible needs any backup, but anyway, anyway, that's the book I'm reading. Uh, love your show, Scott, or Pastor Scott, and you take care. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for calling the Pastor Scott show. He likes uh, The Second Coming by John McCartney. You know, it's true what he said that when you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, it doesn't need any backup. Absolutely true. But however, because it is the Word of God, because it really is talking about things in history, it has backup in history. And the things that are prophesied that will one day happen, we don't know everything. We, you know, there's a lot of, got to be careful with those kinds of things. But when you just read it for what it is, clearly history is barreling towards those events very, very rapidly. 888-528-2557. Carolyn Van Nuys, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor Scott. I don't know if you heard of a book called Why the Caged Bird Sings. Have you ever heard of that book? I maybe have heard it, but I don't know uh I don't know about it. Yeah, it's um I believe written by Maya Angelou and I read it back in the mid eighties in high school. It's about racism and um things that have happened in this country. Yeah. So um, it really impacted me, but I noticed it. Now, is she's a she's a poet? Is the whole book poetry? Uh, no, it's not. Um, I'm not sure if it was her that wrote that particular book. I don't remember, but I know that it was a very important book, and um, that was really put in high school that people read. Yeah, I, I see I that. Read, yeah. I read recently, a few months ago. People were trying to pull it out of the library. I'm like, really? It didn't, in a, in a really bad way, affect anyone that I know. But it was a very important book and written in a way that you could really understand what was happening. Mm. Yeah, I, I looked it up, and uh, she wrote it in 1969. It's her yeah, part of her autobiography so about her life from 3 to 16. Yeah, you know, and, exactly. and part of what we've been talking about here is sometimes you hear about those books being pulled, and usually... It's one person, literally one person in one library somewhere, and they're typically not pulled at all, especially something like that book has been around for so long. Exactly. You know, so a lot of what we're hearing on this, you know, is is not is just there to to stir things up, which is a a unfortunate problem we've got. All right. Well, I'm glad that you like that book. I asked about it being poetry because she's obviously a poet, but uh, exactly. uh, And. um, poetry is something I uh, started to like later in life. I didn't like it when I was young. Didn't get it, I guess. But now I'm. <laughs> yeah, I, I love poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Carol, thanks for calling the Pastor Scott oh, Show. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Gail and Glendora, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you. Thanks so much for taking my call. Yeah. While I was waiting, I was thinking of a whole other book that I was going to talk about. But um, uh, years ago, I read a book called Not a Fan. And by Kyle Eidelman, and it really hit me, am I just a fan of Jesus, or am I really a follower? Oh, yeah, it's a and good it's book. Really, Yes, very, very good. It's such very a, good. just and the I idea think, of that, the challenge of it, right? Um, yes. And that's a big thing for the church today. Are we just fans of Jesus, or are we really believers and followers of Jesus? 
Totally. Yeah. Totally. All right, Gail. Thanks for such a good topic. All right, thanks for calling Pastor Scott Show. I got time for just a couple more here. Stephen and Torrance, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hey, Pastor Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, uh, three great books recommendations that I think every Christian should read. First is uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Yes. Uh, Second, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Yep. And the third book, uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. Ragamuffin Gospel. I've not read that one. All right. I will check. I I will check that out. And you're right about the, the other two. Everybody should read those. All right, thanks for calling Pastor Scott Show. Stephen, let's see if I can get a couple in here. Mark in Orange County, what uh, what book? Um, yeah, I was actually going with two, but one of them was just mentioned. It was Pilgrim's Progress. Um, yeah. The other one's more of a secular book. Um, some religious undertones in there, but just really good philosophical insights about human nature, and that's Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Oh, great book. It is a great book. And, you know, uh, it, as Christians, you know, we don't have to avoid secular writing, we just have to look at it through the lens of the scriptures in a biblical worldview. Yeah, completely. Right. Well said. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, all right, Mark, thanks. Uh, that is a great book, by the way, the actual book. Uh, Louisa in L.A., welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, thank you. My recommendation is called Love and Respect. All right, who wrote that and one? I, for- I forget the pastor's name, and I'm driving, um, but it's a pastor. He's been married about... 40 or 50 years, and he makes the distinction between um, men needing to feel respected in relationships and women needing to be loved. Is it Dr. Emerson Egerix? You got it. Yeah, okay. All right. Yep. You know, there is a lot of uh, insight that people like that are going to have, and uh, love and fact. In fact, when I do a sermon, I've got maybe three wedding sermons that I'll switch around. Um, Mm -hmm. All of them have that as a subject, love and respect. And that comes I, out of. I love it, and actually, I'm a therapist, and I feel like I learned more from that book than I did from therapy. School. Yeah, well, that idea comes from uh, the book of Ephesians, so uh, that's why it's so powerful. All right, I'm out of time, Louisa. Thanks for calling. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back tomorrow from three to five. God bless you. Have a great evening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.